Outstanding. I thought I'd forgot my notes, so I was about to run out the back door and let Wade just quarterback it. Uh, so, <clears throat> I've had a rough week. Has anybody, has anybody else here had a tough week, rough week? I mean, like, I normally feel like I have a rough week. Like, I work in construction, it's hot, uh, I get hurt a lot, you know, it's all good. So these are my, my average weeks, that's the baseline. But this week was especially rough for me. I felt like I was not very productive, and that is one thing that just crawls under my skin. When I'm trying to do things, I'm not a list person, I just have like a mental filing cabinet. And things need to go into the accomplished file. You know, it doesn't matter how many folders I got, as long as there's some movement, things are going into the accomplished file. Well, not a lot was moving over to the accomplished file this week. And more things were going on the to-do file. And I'm getting frustrated, and things aren't really going the way I want them to. And then my last service call, or it ended up being my last service call. I was going to try to catch one more. On Friday, I got bit by a lovely dog that I didn't know after I was told it didn't bite. So <laughs> that was pretty sweet. Uh, and I wasn't sure that this dog had shot, so I was like, I should probably go see a doctor. My doctor, of course, was done for the day because it was five. And so if you are ever in need of a doctor, do not go downtown. That is the worst <laughs> move to make. So about five hours later, I wasn't feeling very righteous when I finally got to leave there on Friday night. And I was like, tomorrow, I'm going to really get into my sermon prep. And I woke up Saturday morning, and I was like, fantastic. I feel like I'm on the back end of this week that has just not gone my way at all. And uh, I need to get along with God and get this word and get ready to present the word to his people. And for a while, the way we do church, the way we think of church has been stirring in me. And so... I was like, that's, that's what I got to present. That's what I got to talk about is, is church. And uh, I just want to encourage you. I've been in Bible college now for uh, several years. I should graduate around December. I got nine credit hours left, three classes. And the worst scores I've gotten across the board are in biblical preaching. So you're in good hands today. <laughs> well, uh... So that means I can't do this, right? So I got to lean completely on God. The Holy Spirit is, uh, is who I'm counting on to carry this word to you today. Now, I hope that you didn't come here to hear me. You didn't come to hear from Jason Braddock, John Wood, or Wade Williams. If you came to church today, I hope you came to hear from the Holy Spirit. So as I stand here today as a broken and weak vessel... I do submit myself to the Holy Spirit and pray that he will use me to speak with clarity and bring his word to you today. So I'm going to take a moment now to pray for myself, and uh, if you would, pray for me as well. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together in your house, Lord. God, I stand before you incapable of doing this in my own right, God, but I don't have to. I submit myself to you, Father, and pray that you'll use me for the glory of your kingdom, that you'll allow me to speak with clarity and to articulate your truths in a way that will be understood so that we don't just hear your word today, but that 
we take it and apply it, and we are doers of your word, Father. We love you and, and thank you that we can come to you and lay down all our faults at your feet. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen. So, I already mentioned we're going to talk about the church today. I, uh, I've been thinking about this. How, how do we think about church? Is, is church something we do? Or have we come to the place where we realize that church is what we are? Now, our primary text today is going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25. And I'll give you a moment to get there. But I'm also going to go through Acts a little bit. And we're going to look at some of the examples of the first century church. How did the first churches interact with God, interact with their study, interact with each other? What are the biblical precedents of church? How should we think about that? How do we become the church? Uh, And so these are the questions I want to think about as we move through this first text. So Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 25, I'm reading from the ESV. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So in this passage, the most well-known portion of it, I'm sure, is forsake not the assembly of the brethren. Everybody, you know, that's like the one thing everybody can remember in King James. There's a few verses everybody's got cataloged in King James Version, you know, and they'll spit it out. And you might not even realize you're reading it in another translation, right? But in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now that's telling us it's important for us to come together. And a lot of times we hold on to that and we're like, yes, as long as I come to church, I enter the building, I do my part, you know, I'm doing what the Bible says to do. But there's really more to it than that. Just walking through the doors of the church isn't making us a Christian. It isn't bolstering our salvation. Walking into McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac. Walking into Burger King doesn't make you a Whopper. Walking into church does not make you a member of the body of Christ. It does not mean that you are following him, that you are his workmanship, that you love him as your life. We, we can't play this thing where church is somewhere we tick off every little bit once a week or a couple times a week. Think about that. This is the one that created it all. Jesus Christ bore our penalty, and we have the privilege to come into his house and be part of the bride of Christ. And sometimes our commitment is two hours a week, maybe three hours a week if we come twice a week. Think about that on like the larger scale. What is that, 150 hours a year? So that's less than seven calendar days. 
Does anybody here do anything for less than seven calendar days a year, cumulative, and consider themselves committed to that? So I want to draw a few things out of this passage. And then I want to move into the examples that we see in Acts. And then I'm going to tie all that together into kind of how we should think of the biblical precedent and definition of church and what we should think about when we're coming to church to honor God. So what is this passage teaching us? The first thing I see is that we have confidence to enter holy places because of the blood of Jesus in verses 19 through 21. The church is the bride of Christ. It's a privilege to come here. We shouldn't think of it as an obligation. There's, there's Christians across the globe, it would blow their mind if, it, if they had it as easy as we have it in America. To wake up and decide if we're going to go to church depending on the weather, or if there's not something better to do, if the fish aren't biting, and it's not deer season, and there's not some good football game on, then I guess I'll go to church. That's not how the body of Christ, that's not how the bride of Christ should think about coming together. We have confidence to enter holy places because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. It's our privilege to come here. Christ has paid the price for us. He is our advocate and our high priest. He stands and petitions to the God on our behalf. And after he entered through the heavenly temple, the one that the, the one on earth that he instructed Moses how to build is a replica of, and he laid his blood on the mercy seat for us. You know what he does? He sits down at the right hand of the Father and is waiting for the day that the God will make his enemies his footstool. And it's coming soon. He is the only high priest that ever sat down. No other was, there was no other tabernacle. The chairs weren't part of the description. God was very specific in the way Moses was to build the tabernacle. He didn't say, you know, go grab you an Ozark trail, trail 699, 799, fold out chair, sit it there, wait for people to come in. No, the high priest was always making sacrifice. Always. His job was never done. But once Christ's blood was spilt, once his flesh was torn, we have the freedom to enter into the holy places because of that. And he sat down because the work is finished. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is our advocate. Now that veil being torn and us having that access to come into God, come to places like this, that is significant. There, there were high priests that died entering the Holy of Holies, going on the other side of that veil because they were not right with God. They had unconfessed sin and they were struck dead. And now Christ has finished the work and we are invited to enter his throne room boldly as his children to come with our petitions, to come with our knees, to come and lay our weakness down. And this, we should take, <laughs> we should respond to that, church family, believer, so how should we respond? These points are true, and they, they elicit a response. We should respond to them. 
So as we work through this passage, what's the first thing we see? Uh, I see we are to draw near. In verse 22, we're to draw near to God. In verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're told to draw near to God. We're told to stand fast, hold fast and unswervingly to our confession. Do not waver from our confession. Do not compromise the word of God. The church is not here to dress up the bride of Christ in a way to make it appealing to the world. Especially when that comes with compromising the word of God. If God calls it sin, it's sin. If Jesus Christ paid the price for it and we see what God thinks of sin, who are we to push that aside and say, well, don't really think about that part. Read the evangelistic sermons in Acts. Not one time did they say, well, you know, you guys didn't really know what you were doing and no big deal. No, Peter said, this Christ whom you crucified. Yeah, you were ignorant, but you're wrong. And they were cut to the heart with the truth, not because somebody was parading around the bride of Christ in a way that was more appealing to them, because they got the truth. We stand fast to our confession without wavering. Do not compromise the word of God. His word is clear. If we are ashamed of him or his words, he will be ashamed of us. We're not giving an out. Yes, we contextualize the message. Yes, we are kind. Yes, we are the light and we are the salt. But we do not celebrate sin. We do not compromise the word of God to be accepted by a culture that hates him. We are to encourage and stir one another. We are to meet together. And this is all the more important as the return of Christ draws near. We see that in verses 24 and 25. We're to come together. We're to meet in person. We're to be of one heart and one accord. We're to do life together. We're not supposed to slip in late after the, they're done singing and take off early before we can get to know anybody. You know, some people, they have this thing, FOMO, fear of missing out. I don't have that at all. I'm something totally different. The polar opposite, actually. I figured it out the other day. I have something called Arbath, R-B-A-T-H. That's rather be at the house, 100%. If I'm out somewhere doing something, Arbath, I'd rather be at the house. I tried. I tried. I was like, God, I don't want any new friends. He's like, that's okay. You're going to get them because I, I, I'm going to use you. You remember when you said God used me? Yeah, part of that's new friends. Part of that's showing up early. Part of that's being the light and being the salt. And I was like, hold up, YOLO, God, our bath. He was like, no. <laughs> Rather be at the house, but you're going to do what I tell you. I was like, okay, you're right. Our excuses will never be as foolish. We won't realize how foolish our excuses are until we see somebody else use them. We say, I, I just, uh, church people will do you bad. Everybody will do you bad. Yeah, church people do you bad too. You know why? It's made up of people. And I don't know any of us that have figured it out yet. We're not perfect. Somebody will do you bad. But if they respond biblically, they'll come to you. Things will get worked out. And that should be how the body of Christ, the church, operates with one another. 
And it's not a place to grow your business. I got a church invitation the other day. Oh, you're in construction? Well, come to my church, man. Since I've been going to this church, my business has doubled for me. If that's what you're selling at your church, if that's how you're dressing the bride of Christ, I, I honestly shake and tremble for you. I pray for you on the day of judgment. Because we will all stand naked in front of God and account for that. And if my thing was to invite you to church to increase your business so you could continue to grow financially and buy more temporal things, then I've really sold God's promise and his provision short. Let us never invite somebody to church that way. We have a great coffee house. Nobody cares about your coffee house. We're dead in our trespasses and sin before Christ. And when we come together and when we are renewed and receive salvation through him, we are to draw near to him. We are to hold fast to our confession and we are to meet together encouraging one another, spurring each other on to love and to be of one accord and to do life together. You know what that word spur means in the original language? It's not like, you know, I'm going to spur you like 2021 moms do their kids, like I'm going to take your iPad and I'm going to... Da, da, da. Spur means I'm going to irritate the fire out of you till you do it. That's what it means. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to agitate you, irritate you, bother you until you see the truth that I'm trying to relate to you. So, what, is this, what does this look like practically? Right? We get these principles from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. We're to draw near, hold fast to our confession, don't waver, don't compromise the word of God, come together, don't forsake the brethren, the fellowship of the brethren. What does that look like practically? Well, in Acts chapter 2, 40 through 47, that's Acts 2, 40 through 47, go back and look into this, okay? I would challenge you to read some of this, see how this all comes together. Peter's just finished preaching his first uh, evangelistic sermon. It's the day of Pentecost. They've just been filled with the Spirit. Let's see how the people respond. And with many other words, this is Peter preaching, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So they're drawing near. What is their first response? Drawing near to God. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. These guys didn't have it as easy as we do. They couldn't just Google a fragment of a verse and find out where it was and then go cross-reference an, an expository that's free online and, and do all that. They're like, you know, this is true. I've been changed. I'm a new creation in Christ. Teach me how to walk with God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They drew near to God. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Well, how are you of one heart and one mind and in one of accord? I submit to you that you are holding fast to your confession, that you're not wavering, that you're not letting personalities get in the way of the fellowship of the brethren. When somebody does something that you don't like, we take it to the Bible and we deal with it. And if it's a personality clash, those things are going to happen too. Even among those that are saved and righteous. Some people just aren't going to get along great. But we should be able to get past that and work for the advancement of the glory of God's kingdom. 
I would hate to stand in front of God and he said, why didn't you work with that person I put next to you? And say, well, I, I just didn't really like him much. He said, I didn't like you much. You were sin. Did you see what I did to Jesus? That's how I feel about sin. We don't have any good excuses, church. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, the proceeds to all as uh, I apologize, as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I would say that in that, they are encouraging each other. They are meeting together. They are stirring towards love. And this says like the utopia church that we always go to. This is where we pull out the principles of an Acts 2 church where we connect, grow, serve, go, worship. And all of that is true and good. And I'm not knocking any of that. But look at the book of Acts and what is going to happen to this church. What they are doing and the the way they come together is not some superficial fan club where they're just high-fiving each other and life's going great. Things are about to get ugly for them. Persecution is on the way. Two chapters later, Peter and John are are going to stand before the Sanhedrin. Three chapters from this point, Peter and John are both brutally beat. They go away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name. How do you walk away from a a cane beating and like, yeah, praise God. Preach that down in Texas to a huge crowd telling them you're a masterpiece, live your best life now. That ain't it. Five chapters after this moment, Stephen's drug out and stoned to death as the first martyr for the faith. So to say, I want to live like Acts 2 church, do you? Because if if we're more concerned about having free time, doing our own thing, giving as little to church as possible, putting a check in a box every week, that is, we're we're not the church. That is not it. Here's a little context for the next passage I'm about to give you. Acts chapter 4, 18 through 31. I'm going to move quickly because this is a, a big portion, but just the context here. Peter and John were just brought before the Sanhedrin. And they were put on trial because as they passed through the gate, beautiful, a lame man was sitting there and is asking for alms. And Peter says, look at me. And the lame man looks up in expectation that they're going to give him alms. And Peter says, silver and gold I have none, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Has God ever said, look at me, and you looked up, and he gave you far more than you were expecting? It's almost like you should put that in his words somewhere, something about far more than you could ever ask or think. (laughs) So they do that, and people are worshiping God, and that hurts the social and political standing of these people, and they don't like that. So they put him on trial for serving God. Jesus doesn't hide the ball. He says, you will be hated for my name's sake. We haven't experienced that in America. But I believe it's coming. The day is growing short. Labor while there's light because there's coming a time where we won't be able to labor anymore. We are to be the church, believer. If you had the key to success on every front, would you not want to tell your friends about it? But we'd say, oh, well, you know, that's my stepsister, and she's just, she's a lost cause. I can't do anything about that. But if she was broke and had the means to come up 
Are you a fool not to show her when you have all the great secrets? We're his hands and feet, church. We're the body of Christ. We're to do his work. So, they've been ordered not to preach anymore because the Sanhedrin's upset. They say, if you you preach anymore, we're going to beat you. We're going to hunt you down. It's going to be bad. They give a bunch of threats. So they called them, starting in verse 18, Acts chapter 4. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had heard, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people were all praising God for what had happened. And the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends. So this is them coming back to the church. Reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. We're not allowed to preach anymore because the local ordinances and the local authorities have said if we preach, they're going to arrest us, they're going to beat us. We're not supposed to preach anymore. This is the church's response. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, So what's their first response? They draw near to God. They lift their voices to God and listen to what they say. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, pay attention to what they say. They're they're drawn close, close to God. They're saying, we see what has happened to your servant, and we know it's Jesus, and we know it's all part of your plan so that we could be restored into relationship unto you. And now, Lord, look upon their threats... And give us an easy life and a way out. Anybody following along? That's not what it says. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This here, they're holding fast to their confession. They're holding fast to their hope with unwavering determination to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ. We're going, to arrest, we're going to arrest you. Okay, I'll preach in prison. Think about Paul. When he was in a Roman prison, writing the Philippian letters and the other prison epistles, he says, don't worry, the whole palace guard has come to know Christ because of me. Can you imagine being a Roman centurion in that time? If you look into how it actually happened, you know, somebody was chained to Paul six hours a day, four shifts a day, 24 hours. Can you imagine being the dude coming off of a three-day drunk like, oh my God, I got the stint next to Paul. For six hours, this dude does not shut up about Jesus. Like, they're doing everything to trade that shift. And Paul's like, come here and put your little bracelet on. You're my prisoner. Next six hours, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. <laughs> think, think about that. Paul's unshakable. 
holding fast to our confession. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak to the, uh, speak the word of God with boldness. So they continued to draw near to God. They continued to hold fast to their confession. And they were together in one accord, in one heart, in one mind. They were the church. What are we doing today? Are we playing church or are we the church? The day is coming. Christ is coming back. There's no time to play games. Don't come in here to put your check in the box and say, well, I'm a, I'm a good Westerner, I'm a Christian, I believe in God and Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. You could go with a lot of the catechisms. Uh, Satan, do you believe that Jesus is the only son of, Jesus, uh, of God? Yeah. Do you believe he came and died for all that were sinful so that they could be made righteous and stand holy before God and have eternal life? He'd say, yeah. Will you submit to his lordship and live your life for the advancement of his kingdom? Will you put, submit everything to him? Will you be his slave as he is your master? He'd say, no. So if you say yes all the way up to that point, you're answering the same way the devil would. We have to lay down our life for him, church. Submit to him. We doctor it up in our translations. We're a servant and a bondservant and all this. Doulos, Greek, is slave. We have not our own plan and agenda. It's submitted to God. He's our master. So how should we be the church today? That's the question, right? We're, we're in America in 2021. How do we be the church today? I'd say that these three principles still hold true. Draw near to God. Number one, draw near to God. We are ambassadors and representatives of Christ. Walk with him. For the last two weeks, Pastor John has been teaching us of about our walk with God. It's a personal walk. We have to be sanctified, set apart from the world, consecrated, reserved for God. Be near him. Draw near to him, church. You can do that easier today than anybody could. The story is retold in Acts. You got a supercomputer in your pocket. Draw near to him. We are to be disciplined and discipled. You know what's universally true about discipline? It's not fun. Like, I've never been like, yes, discipline. But you know what it is? It's proof that we're his sons. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So before we go, oh God, don't discipline me, think about what his discipline means. When he's dealing with me, when he's refining me, when those moments when I'm like, ah, oh, this too, God? Yeah, that too. 
That's proof that I'm his son. If God's not disciplining you, how readest thou, as Pastor John would say? Discipleship. We're to engage in discipleship in 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's key there. Present yourself. Not your cachet of MP3s and your favorite preachers. Not the address of your church and the pastor you sit under. Present yourself to God. A workman. Approved. That has no need to be ashamed. Study the word of God. Be a disciple. Submit to his discipline. The church is the bride of Christ. Draw near to God. Number two, hold fast to your confession. We have a great hope in Christ. Hold fast and do not compromise the truth. I mean, never, for no reason. We're like, well, God really knows my heart, and, you know, I'm only doing this so that I can, you know, be a better minister. No, you're preserving yourself. You're making excuses. When the, when the tower of the likeness of King Nebuchadnezzar was erected, I'm sure there was plenty of people like, God, you know my heart. I'm just bowing because, you know, they'll freak out and nut up and throw me in a furnace. We're, you know what God did? He went in the furnace with them, and he delivered them out of it. It's not on you to save yourself. It is on you to be obedient and submitted to God. Be a disciple. Hold fast to your confession. And think about the cost of discipleship and what that means. I've had to play this out in my head. What if the VA says deny your Christ or you no longer get health care? Well, that's going to suck. Like, because now I don't have health care. Right? I'm going to get sick and die now, God. Should I just, you know, can I compromise a little bit here? I'm like, no. You think, you think the doctors at the VA, the most competent healthcare system in the United States, you think the doctors in the VA can care for you better than the Christ? God Almighty, the one who stepped out on nothing and made everything? Are you in his hands? Do you believe what his word says? There's no reason to compromise. Never. What is our hope and confession? I think Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 sums it up very nicely. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your undoing. This is the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Are you God's workmanship? Does he look at you and say, yes, that's the new creation I made? Are you willing to compromise for convenience and comfort? Don't wait until the gun's in your face to figure that out. Weigh, weigh the cost of discipleship. Say, this is one what I stand. All this other stuff is going to be burnt up. It's not going to last. There's no better place to have your faith than in the faithfulness and the promises of God, and the redemptive blood of Christ. 
Don't compromise your hope or confession. Not for social acceptance, not for likes on Twitter or Facebook or whatever the thing is, Instagrams. Stand firm on the truth. Well, how do I know what the truth is? Study the word. The Bible's still legal here. You can access, there's so many resources. We are so lazy. There is no excuse for the level of biblical illiteracy that is prevalent in this nation. That just means we're complacent, lazy, fat, and happy. You know what happens to those people in wartime? They're the first to die. They're like slaughtered. We're to be a soldier for Christ. We're his body. We're to have a firm, exclusive, reliant faith. It all rests on the life, the ministry, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't add anything to it. Stand for that relentlessly. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And finally, the one we normally think of, forsake not the assembly of the brethren. Number three, come to church. Now, I know we've had a unique experience over the last couple years with COVID. But online attendance is not coming to church. Now, I'm not ignorant, and I'm not telling you to dance with snakes or drink venom or if you're immunocompromised to come to church without a mask and hug everybody and kiss them and just do your best to get sick because God's going to save me. No. Common sense is is still to be applied in these situations. But come to church, believer. This is the house of God. And we have the privilege to come here. Everyone here knows it would have been more convenient to hop out of bed 15 minutes before service started, brew your cup of coffee, flip open your laptop, and log in and watch it. Especially when you got kids. I mean, I feel for my people out here that got two or three or four of them running around. I've seen them try. It's a struggle. Them single mamas getting them here, they've been herding cats all morning. They're tired. They're ready to just turn them over to the nursery, slap a sticker on their back, see you in two hours, I need Jesus. Everybody knows that it would have been easier to flip on your computer that morning. But as Pastor John has taught us, there's things that happen in the corporate setting that are not going to happen in your living room watching the computer. And there's things that happen when you draw near to God in your own time, in your personal closet, that aren't going to happen here. And we need them both to be a healthy believer. We need them both. We need each other. Why? Because we got to irritate each other to love and good works we got to spur each other on, encourage each other. In the Marine Corps, we, we're really passive-aggressive about it, you know? We encourage each other by telling them how much of a sissy you were if you weren't hacking it, you know? <laughs> well, don't worry, Sally. Put your purse down. I'll carry your pack for you. You think there was a little bit of, like, irritating there? A little bit of, like, you didn't carry my pack. I'll die out here before you carry my pack. You know, see, you're going to have to carry all of me if I'm not carrying my pack, because I'm going to be dead. We should have that same commitment to following Christ. 
And we should encourage each other. We should love on each other. We should have compassion for one another. And come together in authentic relationship with one another. And do life together with one another. Like, yes, there's going to be people you don't get along with. There's like 200 people in this room right now. I would imagine there's at least two personalities in this room that clash. So, I mean, you don't have to hang out and be besties with each other. But if that person is struggling and you've been through something, all that should be secondary. You should come alongside them, take their hand, and say, I want to encourage you that God's promises are sufficient. His grace is sufficient, and he is faithful. And I'm here to encourage you. And we both know we don't really like each other, but our God is greater than that. Encourage each other. And participate with the church body. Coming in and checking the box and leaving, like, yeah, I walked into the brick and mortar building of the church, but are you the church? Church is not what you do. It is what we are. We are the church. We are the salt and the light. We are the bride of Christ. We are his body. We should come together. We should draw near to him. Brooke, if you would come, please. Draw near to him. We should stand unwaveringly on our confession and our hope. And we should not forsake the assembly of the brethren within reason and common sense. If you're sick and contagious, stay home. If you got a great opportunity to go hunting and it's a weekend trip and it overlaps Sunday, that's cool. But when it's like, I'm not at church all deer season because, you know, <laughs> bucks and stuff. That ain't it. Now them fish biting on Sunday morning can't go and go make it. Or whatever your favorite college football team is, is on. That ain't it. Come to church, believer. Be the body of Christ. Be the church. So how should we think about church today? We should think of the church as the bride of Christ. That is our privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. To come together in fellowship with those of like precious faith. We should respond with reverence and a desire to be a faithful servant of God. How do we participate with and in the church? Draw near to other believers. Continue to draw near to God. Study the word of God. Find the place where you fit to serve the bride. We're all made different for different reasons. But there's somewhere you can serve the bride of Christ. God has given you a gift. All have been given a gift. Pray, say, reveal it to me, God. Where can I plug this in? How can I serve your bride, Lord? Serve the brethren and the church body. Jesus suffered our penalty to restore us into right relationship with God. He has given us his bride to care for until he returns for her. Let us be faithful in our mission. Let us spur each other on towards love. And it's all the more important as the return of Christ draws near. It's one day closer than it was yesterday. We know not the day or the hour, but we are not to be ignorant of the season, friend. And I'd say that we're, we're, we're somewhere in that season. I'm going to open up the altars and give you a chance to respond this morning. 
if uh and not necessarily that you feel like you haven't been a good representative, a faithful member of the body of Christ. But if you want to stand up, stand before God and say, I want to make a commitment to draw closer to you, God. I want to make a commitment to stand more resolutely on my hope and conviction, unwaveringly, for your truth, God. I want to make your bride a priority of mine, God. I want to serve the body. I want to serve the bride. I would just invite you to come down. And Brooke's going to play a little song for us. And uh, just get before the Lord. And we'll dismiss in prayer. If you want to make a commitment to God. To draw closer to Him. To, to be more faithful to Him. I just invite you to come. God bless you. I will build my life build my life upon your word. Jason's passion for the word, for the Lord. Isn't that good to have this morning someone passionately stand up here and preach the word? Man, 
Thank you, Jason. Love what God's doing in you, brother. <laughs> I just can't help but as I've been listening the past few weeks and today, I've heard through the years Pastor John use this analogy that this is the huddle and that's the game. All right? You familiar with that? And I can't help but get the sense that God is preparing us for something. When I was a kid and I played baseball and go to practice, I would get tired of fielding ground balls. You know what I mean? The coach would just stand there and hit one after the next. Or he'd stand there and just keep throwing them at the ground. Trying to make it so I would mess up. Like, man, the way... But he was preparing me for the game. And I kind of feel like we're in this moment where God is preparing us for something. Yeah, it, it, ground ball. Ground ball, second base. Ground ball, second base. Ground ball, second base. It would get us back to the basics. Back to the basics. Back to the basics. I don't know about you, but today I feel like God would <laughs> get me ready. Put me in, coach. Right? That God, whatever you have in store for us, whatever you've put in front of us, whatever you're planning for this church, this body, God, I want to be on the front row. Amen. Heavenly Father, would you just fill us with your boldness? Mm. God, I believe you got something ahead of us. You're not done. <laughs> God, there are great things on the horizon. God, there are great things that you've purposed for this body and for this church. God, you are not done. You've not closed the doors. You've not shut up shop. God, you're retooling us, so to speak. You're sharpening us. You're reholding us. Taking us back into the file to rub us down again, to sharpen us up. God, that we would remember what the priorities that you've set in front of us. That you would remind us of our calling over and over again. That you would remind us of our walk with you over and over again. God, that we would remember the fundamentals. God, because you are doing something. You're up to something. God, let our hearts be prepared. God, let our souls be ready. Let our spirits cry out, Abba, Father, what's next? What's next? Because we're ready. We've sharpened our tools. What's ready? We've practiced ground balls over and over and over again. That you may use us like Philip, that we could run with chariots. <laughs> God, thank you that you have done a great thing in this building and in this people. Thank you that you're not done with us. God, thank you that you're knitting our hearts back together. You're calling us back together to one another again. God, because you've got some great things and we celebrate that. And in faith, we step forward in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to encourage you if, man, that's kind of starting you today. There is an amazing teaching that Pastor John did on a, Wednesday, on a Sunday night on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If that's something you're warning about, or if you're praying for boldness to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be bold, that is available on our app. I just want to encourage you to go check that out. It's under the Continuing for the Faith. 
Um, we make that resource available every Sunday night to you guys, and it's available on our app or on our Facebook. Uh, I want to encourage you again tonight, 4.30, North Peach Park, our church picnic. Um, love you guys. Be blessed in the Lord today. There will be a video on I just wanna be with you. I just wanna be with you.